You're listening to Radio Influence. You're listening to Crush Performance with the Crusher, Jeff Crushell. Get in on the talent grid and text Crush at 101260 with your questions, comments, or smart ass remarks. All right, welcome to Crush Performance, everybody. I am Jeff Crushell, and we're your weekly source for performance information. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Listen, today's topic is draft day. The NFL draft has just gone down, and it is such a great time of year. We're going to talk about it. We're going to break down the top talents. What makes a player great? And then we got to go crush style on this and get into the whole conversation about talent and talent ID. We're going to look at how good we are at drafting players that can play in professional sports. Again, there's a lot to learn from the top players in the top organizations, especially if that's your dream. If you want to play there one day or if you've chosen sport uh, and to get into the into the high performance pathways, uh, these are the kind of things that you do have to think about and watch because you need to know where you're going. So we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about um, the idea of perception. These guys are exceptional athletes. And when you look at the world's top performers, men, women, and even in the junior ranks, there are things that set them apart. But is it what we think it is? I'm not so sure about that. So we're going to break that down and I'm going to share some of my ideas with you today. And then, you know, I just did a a great uh, teleconference, video conference, I guess, uh, with uh, a bunch of varsity athletes. And I was asked a very interesting question. What would be your advice for a first-year varsity athlete as opposed to a veteran, fourth, fifth-year athlete? I'm going to break down what I said and why I said it. And in hindsight, would I give the same answer again? I'm not so sure. But man, I have totally been enjoying the sharing of knowledge and ideas uh, over over these uh, uh, video calls here in this new year. And I guess maybe that's one of the bright sides of COVID. Listen, so many good things have come out of this. I know it's been challenging as, as all get up and, and man, I'm right with everybody out there. Good days, bad days, up days, down days. Thank goodness. I think we've just been able to frame it here in a way that we're having more up days than down days, but man, I miss you guys, man, man. I miss you guys. I miss getting out there in the trenches. I miss, you know, guiding and mentoring and teaching man i miss it and to sort of quench that thirst over this covid uh, uh shutdown uh we've come up with some really cool initiatives here at crush performance and they're all going to come to light as we sort of get this new website we've been working on together some cool stuff and i, I hope you guys are going to like it and if there's anything you want us to hit on anything you want us to talk about investigate or listen if you have a question if you're not sure about where you're going, if you're not sure you're you're taking the right path, I'm not going to say we have the right answer, but I am going to say that we can get into a conversation that might stir up some thoughts that maybe you or I or us here at Crush Performance haven't had before. So do reach out. Listen, crushperformance.com is the website. Info at crushperformance is our email. And I promise you, other than the garbage, other than the spam mail we get from, uh, um, you know, the... Uh, Uh, social media experts and the website uh, promoters and all these other things. We answer every single message we get on on the website or through email and also uh, on social media. Last week, we attacked a question that came in uh, through Twitter. Somebody just simply posed the question, tagged me on it and said, hey, at Jeff Crush about youth sports. Hey, do you think some of these injuries that we're seeing have anything to do with year-round sport participation and specialization in the same sport. And then the question went on to say, do you think that physical literacy could be one of the answers? What a great question. Seriously, I answered it on Twitter. I responded on Twitter, but we also, man, that's a good one. We attacked that one on the radio show as well. So again, hey man, if you want to follow us on Twitter, at Jeff Crush, on every other social media platform, Instagram, Facebook, um, LinkedIn, also YouTube, search out Crush Performance and we can hook up there. But uh, again, if we don't have the answer, 
we will find it. And somebody in this Rolodex right here, I know for a fact is going to lead us down the right road or, or give us the golden nugget for sure. So, and again, that's what teamwork's all about, right? So real exciting time in sport right now, the NFL draft. And I'm not going to lie to you. I love it. I'm, I'm going to say I'm not a big diehard NFL fan, but I love the NFL. I love football. I just love, love football. I was lucky enough uh, to work with uh, football teams at the varsity level, university levels, which is a great, man, great experience at a serious, serious ball right there. Um, and they, for the most part, have aspirations of taking it beyond college or university. And I love that. You guys know that I'm a huge fan of thinking big and dreaming big. Why the hell not? Why not? Let's see. Let's see if you can do it. I'm down with that. Any day of the week. I've also been lucky enough to work in professional football. I helped the Edmonton Eskimos in the CFL rebuild their program and really got into that world, which was fantastic. And of course, you know, when you start working at the professional ranks, you meet people and you get connected in the NFL. And, uh, you know, it is just a, a great sport to train for. It's an interesting sport as well in terms of, you know, all the media it's been getting, especially in the world of head injuries and concussion, but uh, they've done a really, really good job, I think, of not just addressing that, but also leading sport in general, sport at large, down the road to better understanding brain injury. Conversation for another day, but certainly part of the crush conversation when we think about football and especially the NFL. But listen, let's forget all that for now because what an exciting time in sport. The NFL draft. Have you guys ever watched Draft Day? You know, that's one of those shows on a rainy day when I'm just looking for something to do. I'll just turn that on. I love that show. I really do. And, you know, it goes back. I can't help but think of what a a position being a GM is, right? And again, what's going on right now with Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers, by the way, we're on the Crush NFL watch list at the start of last year. I love the Green Bay Packers. I've got a couple really close friends that are absolute diehard Green Bay Packer fans. I can't wait to talk to them about what's going on here. I mean, I'm sure the dust will settle here post-draft, but Aaron Rodgers is not happy. And, you know, we always see Green Bay compete. And, you know, they're always sort of there. But with Aaron Rodgers at the helm, they've only been to the Super Bowl once. They've won it once. Uh, but... Don't you think, man, they should be like a threat almost every year of actually, you know, getting to the dance, the Super Bowl. I think that's kind of what he's not happy with. And again, I don't follow the Green Bay Packers all that close. Have they been that bad in their in their drafting, in their player signings? That that's the reason that we follow sport organizational performance. Look, you can have all the skill in the world. But if you step into an organization that doesn't have a clue, man, that's a tough go. It really is. And that's why we're starting to see players interviewing teams as much as teams are interviewing players. I think Coach Belichick said it best. Good players can't overcome bad coaching. What a great statement from one of the greatest coaches of our time. Good players can't overcome bad coaching. And look, he's talking about professional sports, of course. But I think if you were to really dig down deep, that statement would stand from youth sport right up to the top. Now, do not get me wrong here. Thank the sport gods for every mom and dad who volunteer their time to go out and coach kids and allow them to play. Like, listen, let's just get things straight. We need to just support those people the best we can. And, of course, the goal and objective down there is just to and let those kids have fun. Let them figure things out in a safe environment. And then away we go. But as you climb the ladder and you start getting, you know, into the ages of performance, when you start getting into even 14, 15, 16 years of age, where athletes are starting to choose their path in sport and starting to focus in on serious goals and objectives. Well, man, if you run into a bad coach or a bad organization, One of two things, right? It's either going to knock you down or it's going to give you a perspective that's going to help drive you forward like nothing else because you can persevere it. Unfortunately, when we talk about organizational performance, especially at the highest levels and the professional levels, you better have it figured out. And again, that kind of goes back to that idea of the crush, crush watch list, the teams, 
players and storylines that we watch each year has really nothing to do with who's going to win. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, I do play some fantasy sports and stuff as much as I can because uh, I love the interaction there. But I really do like sitting down at the start of every year and analyzing, okay, what is going to be cool to watch this year? Which players are going to be great to watch? And then we just try to figure out why. And so a great example in football, of course, would be the Cleveland Browns. How terrible has that organization been? And again, going back to the movie Draft Day, that's the Cleveland Browns right there, right? I mean, how hard is it to be a GM, getting back to the original statement here, and putting together a winning organization? It's not that easy. And, you know, sometimes I'll just sit and watch that movie Draft Day and watch the kind of the story of the players, because I think it's fairly realistic. You know, it really is. And especially when you look at the draft that, that just has gone off here, the NFL draft. So, so cool. And it's really, really important. And listen, it's all about player value. It's a commodities market at this point. And these are incredible young talents, players that have created incredible opportunity for themselves. And don't get me wrong. It's a team effort. We talk about it all the time on the show. And you need to make sure you understand that nobody does it alone. I mean, you see these players sitting with their families and their agents and you see interviews with their high school coaches and their track coaches and coaches from other sports, their teachers when they were in, you know, elementary school. Such great stories. And the NFL does it like nobody else, like nobody else. And so, hey, listen, right after the break, let's do this. I want to break down the NFL draft. Let's sort of use it as a guide to today's discussion and let's talk about, you know, talent, talent ID. How good are we at choosing talent? Let's look at the different sports. Let's look, let's look at the success of our draft picks. And then, you know, like the crush watch list, let's try to figure out why it's happening. And then later in the show, I want to steer this conversation to why are these players great? Why don't we take a step back today and look at some of the top players in sport and have a conversation of why we think they're so exceptional even amongst their peers, all the pro players out there. And again, you know, we say this on the show all the time, and I've got to say it again because, you know, each week we've got a bunch of new listeners. Welcome, everybody. If you're a new listener, welcome to Crush Performance. Hopefully you will be a steadfast crusher moving forward. <laughs> uh, hey, listen, I love our audience, man. It is a diehard, loyal crew, and I appreciate all you guys, and especially if maybe we are helping you out. There's nothing that I can hope for more. But again, when we look at the pro athletes, those players are special. The men and women who have worked their way to the top of the world in Olympic international sports or professional sports or even collegiate sports. Collegiate sport is a real, real special place to be. They've all made themselves special, right? But even amongst that pool of incredibly talented people, there are those exceptional athletes that are just, just another notch above. What separates those guys? And I can't help but think here from the crush perspective, again, one of our underlying themes that's just always there. Are we actually seeing the top talent? Man, and again, it goes back to that conversation I've mentioned to you guys a number of times over the years. Way, way back in the day, John McEnroe tennis day, days. He did an interview after he won. I think it was a record-breaking uh, title, championship title, Grand Slam title, whatever it was. I can't remember what the event was, but he all of a sudden was one of the winningest tennis players in history in some category. And again, this is way back when I was a kid and I was watching like the wide world of sports or some, some darn thing. And they had an interview with him. And of course they showed him <laughs> going off, wrecking his rackets, yelling at the, at the umpires and the refs and the, and the officials, just a hothead, right? And you had to kind of love and hate him at the same time. But this interview that he had was really incredible. And I'm kind of paraphrasing here. You know, I've gone back to try to find this interview on the internet. I can't find it anywhere. So if you ever do, uh, hopefully I'm doing it justice here. But um, uh, the interviewer said, uh, John, hey, listen, how does it feel to be the best tennis player to ever walk the earth? And John McEnroe said something that just took me back. And it, I've remembered it to this day. He said something to the effect that, well, I, you know, I can't say, can't say that, you know, that I'm the best tennis player that's ever walked the earth, something like that. And the interviewer goes, what, what do you mean? And then McEnroe goes, the best tennis player 
has probably never had the opportunity to play tennis. How about that? Let's leave it right there. We'll pick it up right after this. We're going to look at the incredible talent in the NFL draft. And we're going to look at the other sports as well. How good are we at identifying and picking talent? How successful are the draft picks? And let's try to see if we can't decipher what separates the top performers from the best right after this on Crush Performance. Stick around, everybody. Get the Crush blog, podcast, Twitter, and Facebook links at crushperformance.com. Now, back to the show. performance everybody it is draft weekend nfl draft weekend there's a cool little clip from one of my rainy day movies that i'll revisit from time to time draft day i think it's right at the opening of the movie where they're sort of announcing that it's draft day and it talks about how lives will change the lives of those young players and potentially the organizations that draft them so real real fun time in sport today and nobody does it as good as the NFL. Also, some uh, lead-in music from our good friends over at The Whale and the Wolf. These guys have been creating. You know, talk about top performing. A band is a lot like a team or an organization, right? You got to have all the pieces in place. Everybody's got to have a similar mindset, similar goals. And man, you got to mesh. If you're going to be a good band, you got to mesh. These guys have been fun to watch. And this new single, Veins, that just came out a couple days ago, Hey, go to whaleonthewolf.com and you can get it for sure. They've got some exciting new music. I've always been fascinated by the ability to create new music. You know, I'm more of a rock and roll guy ever since I was a kid. You know, I was an ACDC, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest guy. But listen, I also liked some of the alternative stuff as well. And growing up, I, I have to say, I love all music from classical. I love going to like the orchestra, the Philharmonics, seeing them play and the accompaniments they have to some of like live Broadway shows or live performances, uh, but also now what the orchestras are doing in conjunction with the movie business. Man, what, what a skill that is. But to create new music, just when you thought you've heard it all. And again, I unfortunately don't play an instrument. <laughs> I did. Hey, in high school band, I played the trombone, man. And let me tell you something right now. Um, uh, if... I always had a, you know, when I started playing the Trump, the jazz side, right? I, I just imagine a little smoky jazz joint in downtown Chicago somewhere using the end of like a plunger, a toilet plunger to muffle the sound at the end of the trombone or the trumpet. Love that scene. Uh, but yeah, I played the trombone and I can play a wicked Pink Panther theme. I bet you even to this day, right? But I've always loved music, love singing, love driving and singing New music, creating new music, what a skill that is. And again, you know, fascinated by that. We've had Whale and the Wolf on the show. We've had uh, musical artists on the show, and we're going to continue to do so because believe it or not, a lot of the talent research has focused on musicians and, and their ability to be incredible performers. Like what makes the first chair in a orchestra, the first chair violin, right? The top violinist, the number one chair violinist, what separates that violinist from the other five violinists in the orchestra or, you know, the top clarinet player or whatever it might be? What separates those top performers? Just like the discussion we had there in our last segment about, you know, even amongst all these great players in professional sport, there are those players that shine. What separates them from everybody else? And then getting back to our, our crush question, that's sort of just always there. Are we experiencing and watching the best talent and you guys know that i strongly feel that while yes you know you see some of the great talents in sport i mean we could talk about in the nhl 
McDavid in soccer, Ronaldo and Messi. You know, we could talk about some of the historical greats as well. We could talk about in the NBA, you know, Michael Jordan. You know, you can't help but talk about LeBron. Uh, um, you know, looking at young players like Zion Williamson, one of our NBA players to watch probably for the next decade. What's this kid going to look like? Um, you know, in baseball, Mike Trout. Or, you know, some of these great young talents that are coming up. My number one player to watch in baseball for the last three years, Ronald Acuna Jr. with the Braves. Man, this is a talent. But you can't you can't help but look at around the league and see so many great talents. But you got to wonder as well, who's not there? And with my work with Major League Baseball, you know, after stepping down from the Blue Jays, uh, which was... You know, I can't even tell you what an experience that was to be the head strength coach with the Toronto Blue Jays um, and, and with the Edmonton Eskimos here as well in the CFL. You know, players coming, coming. We had Super Bowl winners on, on, the, on the Edmonton football team when I was there. We had guys wanting to get back to the NFL, guys finishing off their careers that just loved to play and wanted to keep playing. We have young guys trying to carve out their path to, to higher levels. Real cool, real cool league. And then, you know, also in the NHL, you know, helping test the Edmonton Oilers, doing their physical testing their, uh, in their training camps. And also, uh, I was lucky enough to run their rookie camp a couple of years, looking at that young talent and then watching it come up. But the Blue Jays was an exceptional experience for me. I was the first minor league strength coach, full-time minor league strength coach there. So to get in, get in at that time and build that organization, uh, that program from the ground up, and then getting uh, making it to the big leagues with a bunch of the players that I'd worked with for years. It was a super, super experience. But I'm telling you what, when we stepped away, uh, we, we stepped away for family reasons. We had our third baby coming and my dad's health was, was running down. We were living way out east. Everybody was still, you know, out west. So we made a tough, tough decision. And I do miss it. I still miss it to this day. Um, and I often say, man, if I knew then what I knew now, Wow. How scary could it be? You know, just the influence you can have on player development. Because just like the players and coaches out there, you know, you grow and develop. My interests have taken me down paths on human performance. And I've answered now questions that I couldn't even think of having way back then. So, you know, you grow and expand. Your knowledge base expands. But as soon as I stepped down from the Blue Jays, I got approached by Major League Baseball to help work with their global development program. That was a perspective change for me seeing all these players in different parts of the world looking at the resources looking at the competitive schedule looking at their competition and yet we were able to come come together and build programs in all these different pockets of the world that gave players opportunity to go to college go pro and some of them have even made the big leagues so awesome but getting back to that mac and roll uh, interview that we talked about, I just don't think that we are truly seeing the best talent. The best talent has never had a chance to prosper in our developmental models or make it through or survive our dysfunctional developmental sport. Some have, don't get me wrong. Some are just destined just because of how they're wired. And that's part of talent development, talent ID. What separates those great players? Well, Let's get into it. The draft. All right. But before we get to the NFL and the NFL draft and our success at picking talent there, let's go to some of the other sports. Let's look at the Major League Baseball draft. So some of the data that we've collected and looked at, and again, it's varying data out there, but to the best of our knowledge, looking at everything together, uh, about 17.6 of drafted players make it to Major League Baseball. 17.6. If you look at the first rounders, listen, at every single sport, the higher you go, the better your chances, right? Does it mean you're the most talented? Well, you might be the most talented right now. Does it mean you have the highest ceiling? We're not sure yet. Some of these players who have come from, you know, the lower rounds of the draft or these undrafted players, you know, eventually turn out to be some of the biggest stars in the game. So again, it sort of reflects on our poor ability to identify or maybe even more importantly, predict future talent. We are horrific at it. We'll talk about that in our talent series this year for sure, but it's certainly part of the conversation today. So in the first round of the Major League Baseball draft, 73% of the players in the first round, historically, 
make it. There's good years and bad years, of course. In the second round, it drops significantly to 51%. In the third round, 40%, and then it drops down. In the NHL, a couple hard numbers that we found from reliable sources that we'll talk about. And the first one is a hard number. 49% of drafted players play at least one game. 49%. Not a big number. 49% of drafted players play at least one game. And again, that's just sort of the give and take. It's a competitive world up there and only a few players get to play. But that's a hard number in the NHL. The 2011 draft in the NHL was the most successful draft in the last 15 years. The highest conversion of drafted players to play in the NHL. 59% of the players drafted in the year 2011 have made it to the NHL. So again, it goes back to that idea that there's good years and bad years. Sometimes there's incredible talent and sometimes uh, there's, there's only a few players that actually have what it takes to play at the top. And baseball and hockey are unique because uh, you can get drafted in those sports and then take two or three or four, five years to develop your skills to the point where you can play in the NHL. There's developmental levels after you're signed pro where the teams have the ability to work with you and help you develop where you can contribute or to the point where you can contribute at the highest level of the game. And there's no better system than in baseball. Of course, it's changed greatly this year with the contraction of 40-plus minor league teams. So a lot of players that would normally enter that system, they're not. So we've got a bit of chaos going on in the baseball world. Where are these players now going to go? Well, listen, the college route's going to be really, really important for baseball players. And we already know that. The numbers are quite clear. Going through college and out of high school and playing there gives you a higher percentage or a higher odds of playing in the big leagues. Players coming out of college have a, a better chance of making it to Major League Baseball once they eventually do sign pro than signing out of high school, right? In the NHL, of course, you have the junior hockey leagues as well, where players get to go hone their skills to the level where hopefully they can contribute. So it's a little bit different in the NFL and the NBA, in those sports, you're drafted pretty much ready to play. And that's that college developmental pathway. The college route's incredibly important in the NBA and the NFL. Once you're drafted, you pretty much are ready to play and contribute. In the NFL, let's have a look at it. Now, of course, the NFL draft going down this weekend. Here's a set of numbers from 2020 that are really interesting. All right. Of the players that took the field in 2020, all of the players, 13% were first rounders. Okay, and whether they were drafted five, six years ago or doesn't matter, whether they drafted last year, 13% of all the players in 2020 were first rounders. 21% were drafted in the second and third round. And of all the players that took the field in 2020, 66% were selected in the fourth round or later. Isn't that interesting? And again, talking about, you know, you're drafted and ready to go. Some of these players, you know, weren't drafted very high. So again, for those players that weren't drafted this weekend in the first round or the second round or the third round, in the later rounds, listen, in 2020, 66% of the players on the field were selected in the fourth round or later. Being drafted high doesn't necessarily mean you're going to make it, and it certainly doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have longevity in the game. So there's so many variables here. And imagine trying to... Pick the players that are going to basically determine the future of your team. It's such an art and such a craft. So here's some other interesting stats out of the NFL. Players who make the team's opening day roster in his rookie season average a career of about six years. And then if you're a player that plays at least three games in at least three seasons, the average career is 7.1 years. So some crazy numbers when we talk about career longevity and career lengths, but Getting drafted high doesn't necessarily mean incredible success in your sport. You know, if we look at the average careers, sport by sport in Major League Baseball, the average career right now is 5.6 years, which is a good long haul in professional sport. It doesn't sound like a lot of time, though, does it? I mean, relatively speaking. I mean, I've been doing my job right now, locked in here for 17 years, and I've been in my business for the better part of almost 30 years. So when you see the average career in Major League Baseball being 5.6 years, it doesn't seem like a long time, and it's not. 
If you look at the turnover in the game, the players that I worked with and trained, there's only maybe a handful of guys still left in the game that I actually worked with when I was with the Blue Jays. Uh, we got a lot of young players now, though, coming up that we've worked with internationally, which is exciting, exciting to watch. In Major League Soccer, 3.2 years is the average career. In the NBA, you get to play 4.8 on average. In the NHL, which this one surprised me because of the physicality of this game, in the NHL, 5.5 years. So I wonder if that reflects on maybe the talent pool there or lack thereof. But uh, I was really surprised by the average career in the NHL, 5.5 years. In the NFL, it's 3.3 years, despite all those other numbers we talked about. On average, the career in the NFL is 3.3 years. And by position, it varies a little bit. Kickers, 4.8. Quarterbacks, 4.4. Offensive linemen, 3.5. And wide receivers, 2.8. And of course, you know, those high velocity hits and the damage those wide receivers. Oh man, incredible. And that, you know, makes me think again, going back to last week's show, talking about, you know, incredible performers and guys who have survived the game. You know, we talked about uh, Morlo's record-breaking career appearances in the NHL and breaking Gordie Howe's record. Jerry Rice played 20 seasons as a wide receiver in the NFL where the average position is the lowest in the game. The average career, uh, position career is the lowest in the game, 2.8. Absolutely incredible. Incredible stuff. And if you look at Jerry Rice, and if you ever had a chance to listen to what he says, um, it probably has more to do with the way he practiced. He rarely, if ever, practiced contact. He would run patterns, run patterns, run patterns, but he wouldn't participate in contact drills uh, in practice. One of the reasons he has such great longevity. So uh, good luck to all those players who are being drafted this weekend. We're going to be watching each and every one of you guys from the crush perspective Hoping you have great careers, contributing to your team, contributing to the league, but most importantly, playing for as long as humanly possible. What makes these players great? Well, I've got some ideas and I want to share them with you. See if you agree. So stick around right after this. What makes great players great on Crush Performance? Stick around. This is Crush Performance. If you have questions, comments, or smart remarks, write to us at CrushPerformance.com. Welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. Can you imagine hearing your name called in a professional draft? Oh, man. Gives me goosebumps. Having your family around, your friends, being able to talk to your high school coach, your college coach, your teammates, your, your pals, your high school buddies who just have always been your pals no matter who you are. Oh, God, I love it. I love this time of year. Congratulations to everybody going in the draft. And again, it's not the end of the world. So many players have incredible success in the lower rounds of the draft or being undrafted. So march on, battle on. Let's, let's find out how far you can go. Hey, if you want to get in touch with us, do so. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crushperformance is the email. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff Crush. On Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and all those other social media platforms, search out Crush Performance. You will find us there. Lots of new cool stuff coming here as uh, summer sets in with a new website and some new initiatives that we have. I'm really, really excited. Well, we've been talking about the draft. We've been talking about what makes great players great. We've been looking at some of the numbers from around the leagues. And these conversations always steer me back to an underlying question of what makes the great players great? And I can tell you over my time, I have been blessed to be part of the development and the performance of some of sports top performers. And they do operate different. And they are a little bit different in the way they go about things. Even personality-wise, you can tell some of them have certain, certain uh, traits that maybe other people don't have. Maybe that's what makes them great. But it also could be the entire exact opposite for somebody else who's successful. So I don't think there's a hard line here. 
But there are some things that I think make the top performers special. And it goes back to our conversation. And again, one of our top themes for 2021, talent and talent ID. Well, we're going to get to the talent ID side. You know, we're going to be running series, three show series coming up in the upcoming months through the summer into the fall, looking at the crush brain game and talent and talent ID. But right now, really quickly, we are terrible at future prediction of talent. We might think we're great. The scouts might think they're really good at it. Um, you can kind of get an idea of what people are doing now, but let me tell you something. We are terrible at predicting future performance. We're getting really, really good at developing it, however. Really good at developing it. I think that's one of the changes we're seeing in the talent ID landscape. It's not so much anymore about, hey, what's this player going to look like you know, two or three years from now? Ah, he's going to be a great hitter. He's going to be a great running back. He's going to be a... Uh, a great point guard, you know, all this stuff. Forget about that. What traits does he have now, he or she have now? Are they traits that are in alignment with our organization and our master plan? And can we work with this person and help them develop to the point where they are either one of the best in the organization or maybe one of the best in sport? That's That would be my approach. That's that That is my approach right now with any athlete that I work with. And if they're getting drafted to a team or when I talk to teams, what are you looking for? Like, it's a commodities market. Just look at this NFL draft. The money these players are going to get paid. And again, you know, when you get into the average careers and the average uh, salaries for the sports, I mean, Major League Baseball, $3.2 million on average is the average salary. Major League Soccer, not there yet. They got to work on their TV deals, I think. But 160000 is the average. There's some big contracts. But trust me, there's a lot of small contracts. In the NBA, these guys are getting paid, and rightfully so. They are special human beings. Five point one five million in the NHL, two point four, right? In the NFL, one point nine, one of the lowest in professional sport. I think it's just because of the number of players on a roster and the quick turnaround and some of the short contracts that we see. But those are the average salaries. But we know what these kids are going to be getting paid when they're drafted in the first round. It's big money. And some of the players take great responsibility for that money. And I appreciate that. And I love seeing some of the players, the veteran guys who enter their first big long-term contracts. You know, when we start tapping into that 100, 100, 200, 300, 400 million dollar mark. And these guys take responsibility or feel the responsibility of that. Okay, that, that's a pretty special thing. And, and I love it. But what separates these top performers from the rest? All right, well, if you go back to some of the talent research out there, you know, it's not so much about skills and skill set. It has more to do with the ability to learn and how you learn, which brings me to a real interesting point and something that I contemplate and have contemplated for years is how do top performers learn? Are they wired differently? Well, you know, if you go back to uh, one of the great talent research papers and projects uh, by Bloom and Sozniak. You know, they they looked at some of the top performers from a bunch of different platforms, music being one of them. Now, again, that's where some of the music research t- on talent comes from. But they looked at the top chess players, right? And they looked at the top culinary chefs. They looked at, of course, sportsmen in, in the world of sports. And what they were expecting to find, their hypothesis, they went out to see what makes the the best the best kind of kind of that sort of thing but what they were expecting to see were incredibly talented human beings and that wasn't the case what they did find however was exceptional environments so they looked at all these top performers where they came from how they developed what were the turning points in their careers and what they found was they all came from incredible environments. Most of them weren't predicted to be incredible talents in the first place, which is, you know, fairly consistent across across the literature, but the way they learned. And all roads here lead to the environment, a learning rich environment, an environment where a young developing talent, no matter what it is, has the ability to grow at their own pace are stimulated in the way that they respond to and also um, have has the guidance and the people around them 
to help them prosper. I mean, go back to our incredible interview with Judith Polgar, you know, one of the first women to become a grandmaster champion in chess. And if you haven't heard that interview, it is worth the listen. Again, really quickly, her father set out to create an environment where his kids had no choice, no option, but to be the best in the world. His original plan was to develop and help um, bring around some of the world's top mathematicians. But just because of logistics and the ability to measure and teach, um, that quickly turned to chess. Well, turns out he has three daughters. And I think he was hoping for boys at that time, but three daughters who all went on to become some of the greatest chess players in history. They were homeschooled and they were brought up in an environment where, listen, it was a learning rich environment for chess. We have to be careful here because I don't think high performance can be our objective when we are talking about youth development. But we have to provide the process and the environment that will allow top performers to prosper. And if we raise the average of everybody as a whole, well, what a great outcome that is. Again, we always say this on the show because I firmly believe it. If you don't, please write to me. I'd like to hear your, your opinion on this. But the goal of a, of a developmental model cannot be to create high-performance athletes or high-performers. High-performers will be the beautiful result of a good process. And that goes back to everything that Bloom and Sozniak found. It goes back to our entire conversation with, with Judith Polgar. And if you get a chance to watch The Queen's Gambit on Netflix or whatever platform it's on, she was one of the consultants on that, uh, that miniseries. It is a fantastic show. Not just uh, because of the chess. Not, not just because of chess. But it also it gives some insight into top performers, a top performer in chess, the stress that, that they have to deal with, uh, the way they have to think, the different approach they have to have. You cannot be average and be a top performer in anything. It's not possible. All right. But not everybody wants to be exceptional. Not everybody wants to be a top performer. It doesn't mean we shortchange them on the process of development. It can't be right. So what makes them great or what's going to allow a person to all of a sudden go, wow, hey, you know what? I love this. I'm really good at it. I love it. I think I think I want to take a shot. What gets a person to that point? If we can get people to that point, listen, I've seen some great performers in sport choose not to not to go that route. I've seen I've seen baseball players drafted and signed for big money that have decided not to play. It just wasn't their thing. And that's fine. Excellent. What a great life decision that is. And when I go back and visit these guys, they don't regret it for a second. You know, they're happy. They're, they're working jobs. They got a family. You know, they're doing different things. It's a special, special commitment to pursue high performance sport. Let's get that out right now, right off the start. Every one of those players drafted in the NFL today, they've still got a long road ahead of them. But to get to that point, that's pretty darn special. It truly is. And it comes back to that commodities market. So what makes these players special? Well, I've got a funny feeling the, the environment is first and foremost, one of the most important factors. And it doesn't have to be great. It doesn't have to be high tech. It's just got to be right for that person. Top performers come from all kinds of different backgrounds, different areas with different resources. Okay, many, many pathways to getting there. So just because you don't have something or, or you feel like you're not in the perfect place, forget about it. Find a way. And if you're not sure, write to me. What are the, one of the greatest challenges is figuring out that pathway based on your resources, your location, and, and what you've got going on around you. It really is. Love it. And you can do it. But there is something I believe to be said for those environments. And whether the top performers in sport are wired differently or not from the get-go, I'm not quite sure because we respond to our environments, right? Talent is a result of the things that we've been exposed to, the way our body adapts and changes from the brain right out to our muscles, bones, nervous system, the periphery. We are products of our environments. No truer words could be said in the world of sport performance. And it starts at a young age. So if we take some of the top performers in sport right now, like 
let's take a look at, at let's, let's look in the NHL, Connor McDavid in the NHL, right? Probably if not, yes, most definitely he's going to be a generational player, but an incredible player. What sets him apart from everybody else? Well, if you ask everybody, his speed is number one, right? He's got speed like that's rarely been seen in the, in the game. That speed, think about this for a second. That speed has had to change his entire perception of the game. Imagine growing up and just being a fast, fast player. Imagine how differently you have to see the game. Is it better or worse? Look, I'm not sure. But I am telling you right now, the way Connor McDavid sees and thinks the game is calibrated in part to his speed. And that perception side, I truly believe, is one of the key components of developing top performers. Does that mean you have to be fast to be a top performer? No. But it means if you are fast, there are things that happen in your development that can make you a top performer. Now, let's say you're not that fast. We've seen catchers in baseball, Major League Baseball, some of the best catchers in the game, in the history of the game, were not fast runners. But man, did they contribute to team success? Maybe they're power hitters or the way they communicated with their, with their pitchers or the way they, they uh, handled the ball or framed up the pitches behind the plate. There's ways to contribute. So if you're not fast, hey, there's a pathway, right? Look in, look in the NBA, LeBron, Michael Jordan, those guys, because of their skill, Anthony Davis, uh, Steph Curry, they probably perceive the game different, differently than everybody else, simply because of their skill set. Does that mean if you try to copy the way LeBron James grew up and developed and trained, you would be another LeBron James? No, not at all. But listen, that stardust did fall on some of these guys and they were able to carve out their path. But I'm telling you, their physical abilities led to a different perception of the sport, which probably led to their ability to perform at different levels. And this is in part what the Crush Brain Game is all about and why I'm so excited about diving into this part of sport performance. That's where I'm at in my career. I've been a strength and conditioning coach all of my life. But on the physical side, listen, we can do it. We know it well. There's not an athlete we can't make faster. There's not an athlete we can't help become more powerful. There's not an athlete we can't make stronger. It has to be done in sequence. It has to be done properly. And that's really important. That has to be done right. But I'm telling you, if you can combine that with an understanding of the brain game, of neuroscience and the brain game, perception and development, oh boy, oh boy, things get really, really fun. For example, you know, if you look at reaction times, right? By the time your body receives information, it goes to the brain and then it gets back out there where you can act on it. Well, take a look for visual stimulus, which is really important in every single sport. It's the main input. Let's face it in sport, visual stimulus. The mean reaction time or from the time you actually see something to the time you can act on it is 189.5 milliseconds. For auditory, it's 146 milliseconds. And for touch, it's 150 milliseconds. This is important information because we know as you develop and become more familiar with, let's say, a certain skill, you learn to focus on different things. You fine tune your skill set. Stuff that's not important gets left out in the periphery. But again, it goes back to this perception. Do top performers perceive the game better? Have they had better coaching cues? Or have they been left alone just to figure things out and survive? We don't know this stuff yet. And we're at the cusp of, of putting it all together. But there's some serious things to be learned from the world's top performers. And we're searching for answers. But I do honestly believe that the environment you are in is the number one factor in where you're going to go and whatever you're going to do, whether it's music, whether it's academics, whether it's mathematics, maybe, whether it's business, certainly in sport, your environment and your environment through development is really important. So we're going to be breaking down human development here. And, you know, this is what I've been talking about in a lot of our video conferences with coaches. If we have an understanding of that timeline and the general idea of the developmental pathways for athletes, one, we can help them enjoy the sport now, right now, regardless of their skill set, because we're going to be doing things that's in their wheelhouse, right? 
It goes back to that conversation we had months ago about that elite tennis player. The parents wanted their elite young tennis player to be training like Serena Williams. I think this young tennis player uh, was 13 or 14. Well, we want her training like Serena Williams. And that tennis coach brilliantly replied, how about this? How about we train her like Serena was training when Serena was 13 or 14? If you trained a 13-year-old athlete like Serena Williams right now, you would destroy that kid, right? So there you go. That's my thoughts. Perception. How the top performers perceive sport is different. Is it because of their skill set? Is it because of the way they've, they've learned? Is it because of what they focus on when they're playing the game? Well, next time you watch a professional game in whatever sport, just think about this and admire what these guys are doing. But also look at the differences between the players. This is the stuff I think about. This is the stuff that keeps me up at night. All right. So, you know, think of me at two in the morning thinking about, huh, huh, what was he seeing there? (laughs) Right? Crazy. All right. That's it for today, everybody. Hey, please send in your questions, your comments, your opinions on today's show. I want to hear it. Let's get thinking about it. All right. Coming up next week, an incredible and special uh, episode of Crush Performance. It's a roundtable looking at injury, injury prevention, injury management, and the true deep benefits of the locker room concept of sport medicine. We'll be talking with the experts from Health Point Medical Center and Advantage Sport Medicine Physiotherapy. We'll be joined by Dr. Duran Nadeau, the head team physician for the Edmonton Oilers and the Edmonton Football Club. Michael Cook, who's the lead strength and conditioning coach at Advantage Sport Medicine Physiotherapy and for the Canadian men's volleyball team. We'll also be joined by T.D. Forrest, the head athletic trainer for the Edmonton Oilers, and Tahisha Nadeau, physiotherapist at Advantage and the head therapist for the Saskatchewan Rush in the National Lacrosse League. We'll be talking about why getting treated like a professional athlete is such a great model, and it's now available to the public and every athlete out there. So it's going to be a great show coming up next week. Until then, everybody, get out there, have some fun, stay safe, and go get better. Talk to you next week right here on Crush Performance. Goodbye now. Don't forget to ride. Radio Influence strives to bring you excellence in podcasting. We work with radio personalities like Ian Beckles and DJ Eakin, news and political pundits like Frank and Tracy Beans, experts from the sports world like veteran football scout and coach Chris Landry, MMA experts Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan, and strength and conditioning coach Jeff Crushell, and more. If you're looking for food, sports, music, entertainment, politics, no matter the topic, Radio Influence has something for everyone. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.